This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 265. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined this fine afternoon by Matthew Marister. Yes, sir. I'm Mr. here. Mr. Producer. <laughs> yeah, I'm back. Thanks he for, uh... who puts together a lot of what happens behind the scenes now on the show. Yeah, so if you have complaints, direct them towards me because... It's probably, probably my fault. Blame everything on Matthew. That sounds that's that's exactly why we hired you, bro. Just needed somebody to be the fall guy. Like a punching bag. <laughs> I think you'd probably be too quick on your feet for me to ever ever land a pe- uh, punch on you. I don't know. You're pretty quick, man. I'm pretty quick. I'm big and lumbering, is what I am. <laughs> but I do, I think, move faster than what some people probably expect at times <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> definitely could i be faster for sure could i lose some poundage yeah, yeah for sure but uh, uh anyway so hey folks welcome this is the early part of the week for us still and this is that means this is our news episode for the week we've got a whole bunch of really great stories uh that we're looking forward to cover covering for you. So we've got some stories coming to you from Connecticut. We got Washington's in the mix. We've got, uh, boy, we got a bunch. What else we got, Matthew? Just as a preview. Yeah, California, of course. Um, Missoula. Um, yeah, all over the place. What you it's don't know, those stuff. of you that are not viewing on Facebook is that was totally me handing it off to Matthew to have him cover for me while I hacked up a lung. I came down with a cold a few days ago and uh, it is I'm feeling a lot better actually like my head <laughs> feels better but boy the cough is still uh, still kicking my butt. <clears throat> we'll see how this goes. I don't know <laughs> if I'll be able to you know cover everything in, in today's episode. So at some point I imagine you're going to you're going to hear me coughing up a storm here but um, anyway. Here we go. So today's episode brought to you by Ammo Supply Warehouse. Uh, been talked about quite a bit recently. We are super excited to be partnered up with these guys. <clears throat> Let me tell you, Ammo Supply Warehouse is so easy. If you look at their website, <clears throat> you first go to AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com, and it's going to ask you if you want to be on the west or east side of the Mississippi. It's basically splits. Well, actually, it's not the Mississippi. Excuse me. It, does not, it follows the line on the other side of the states <laughs> that border the Mississippi. So basically right down the middle half of the United States. If you're on the west side of that line, pick the west. If you're on the east side, pick the east. It's pretty cool because they have warehouses on both sides of the country. That helps uh, save a little bit on, on uh, shipping costs. So super easy. Go to AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. Pick which side of the country you're on, which warehouse you're going to be ordering from. You want to order some handgun ammo. <clears throat> well, my mouse all of a sudden is not working. Grab some some handgun ammo, 9mm. Let me tell you, they got some really great deals here. Uh, one of my favorites. Hopefully they're still in stock. Right here, 9mm, 115 grain. This is a 50-round box. Where's the big stuff? 1,000-round case. And they've even got, uh, usually, 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 no. All right, so they don't have the 2,000-round deal going. But let me tell you, 
you can still get some amazing deals. Sometimes they run a 2,000 round deal. You order 2,000 rounds at a time, get free shipping. Yes, the cost per thousand is a little bit more because that shipping sort of rolled in there, but I've done the math and it works out to be a really heck of an awesome deal. Guardian Nation members save 5% additional off of already fantastically priced ammunition from Ammo Supply Warehouse. Go check them out today. Super easy. AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. We hope that uh, you'll consider sending us a business their way. And we're, like I said, we're just super excited to be uh, partnered up with them. Now, another thing right now is going on in our company is what we call No, no Gun Control Week. So all this week, we're publishing all kinds of articles, doing all kinds of things about uh, gun control. And specifically, we have a number of, we've got the elections coming up. In a lot of states, there's initiatives and different things that are going to be voted on by the people. And so we're doing a big push to really get the word out and hopefully encourage everybody to make sure that they're supporting, whether it be candidates or whether it be initiatives that don't further restrict our constitutional Second Amendment rights. <coughs> there it is. I told you it's coming. So right now on our site, this week only, it ends on Saturday. Use the coupon code no gun control to save 20% off everything site-wide and if you are taking a look at your screen although it's really small right now because I'm sharing my screen for those that are not uh, not viewing you'll see I'm wearing my awesome speak softly and carry a big stick t-shirt <clears throat> this shirt included in that 20% off deal so this is a really new product from us it's super awesome uh, all of a sudden, my website's not working. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, that's a temporary thing. Oh, that's always fun. So, guys, uh, the Big Stick t-shirt, concealedcarry.com forward slash Big Stick, and you get this awesome Theodore Roosevelt quote, speak softly and carry a big stick. America, uh, concealedcarry.com logo on one shoulder, American flag on the other shoulder. It's a sweet t-shirt. 20% off, just like everything else is on our site by using the coupon code no gun control when you check out that's that's pretty huge by the way i don't think we've done a general 20 percent off site-wide di uh, discount like this before so this is just kind of a special thing we're pushing out mm -hmm. so, definitely anyway those are our sponsors for today let's get into the meat of today's episode but first before we do that we've got to do something we haven't done in a couple weeks what might that be the Andrew Branca Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. Got to work on your broadcaster voice, bud. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as good as you, man. I don't know about that. I don't I, I don't even think I have a broadcaster voice, but uh, <laughs> all right. So, yes, it is time for, we got to be like animated stuff. The Andrew Branca Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week coming up right now. Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for LawofSelfDefense.com. This Case of the Week involves the Baltimore police officers who were suing State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby for what they claim is her malicious investigation and defamation of them when she criminally charged them over the death of Freddie Gray while Gray was in police custody. They have appealed the Fourth Circuit's dismissal of their case to the U.S. Supreme Court according to the newspaper The Baltimore Sun. A copy of their motion for certiorari to the U.S. Supreme Court is embedded at the bottom of this post. 
or in the notes of this video. In addition, you can find my extensive coverage of this case over at Legal Insurrection by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash gray. That's G-R-A-Y. Now, the Freddie Gray case isn't technically a self-defense case in that none of the officers raised the legal defense of self-defense in response to the criminal charges against them. Rather, their defense was that they'd simply used no unlawful force against Gray at all. As a result, this case would not normally be the subject of coverage by law of self-defense. This case is, however, akin to many high-profile self-defense cases in the news in recent years, in that it is yet another example of very serious criminal charges premised on a claimed unlawful use of force in the absence of any actual evidence to support such charges. So let's review the facts. On April 12, 2015, several Baltimore police officers participated in the arrest of small-time street-corner drug dealer Freddie Gray as part of a sweep of an open-air drug market in Baltimore. Gray was arrested, placed in the back of a police van, transported for processing, and upon arrival was found to have a serious neck injury. He would die of that injury several days later. Despite there being zero evidence of unlawful force upon Gray by the officers involved in his arrest, and in particular, there being no evidence that they used any force against Gray's neck, the point of injury, state's attorney for Baltimore, Marilyn Mosby, brought murder charges and other lesser charges against six of the officers involved in Gray's arrest and transport. These charges were based on a quote-unquote independent investigation conducted by Mosby's office, that is, independent of the investigation already underway by the Baltimore Police Department. At trial, all of the officers were ultimately acquitted or the prosecution ended up dismissing the charges against them. A departmental review after the trials also cleared all the officers of wrongdoing and they were all returned to active duty. The officer's lawsuit alleges that Mosby made false statements against them in the course of filing charges against them and that these, among other statements, were made not for the purpose of prosecuting crimes that had allegedly been committed by the officers involved, but rather for the purpose of quelling the riots then taking place in Baltimore. Several of the cleared officers then brought a lawsuit against Mosby for misconduct in this manner. Now, suing a prosecutor for their official actions is an uphill battle because prosecutors generally have absolute immunity from civil suit for their official actions as prosecutors. Here, however, the officers argue that Mosby engaged in actions outside a prosecutor's normal function, the independent investigation, and therefore she should not be entitled to absolute immunity for those extra prosecutorial activities. Specifically, the officers argue that Mosby engaged in investigatory activities traditionally assigned to police officers and detectives to whom only qualified rather than absolute immunity is granted, and thus her alleged misconduct based on those investigational activities, should at most be similarly entitled to only qualified immunity, which is challengeable. If so, the officers face a substantial lower barrier to dragging Mosby into civil court than if she had absolute immunity. The officers had initially sued Mosby in federal district court, where Mosby's assertion of her claim of absolute immunity in support of her motion to dismiss the case 
was rejected. In other words, the federal district court, the federal trial court, declined to dismiss the case based on Mosby's assertion of her claim of absolute immunity. Mosby then appealed that refusal to dismiss the lawsuit to the Fourth Circuit, which oversees that federal district court, and the Fourth Circuit reversed the district court and dismissed the officer's lawsuit on the basis that Mosby's conduct qualified for absolute immunity. This week, the officers have applied for certiorari on this matter to the U.S. Supreme Court. Certiorari is an order the Supreme Court can grant. It's an order by which a higher court reviews a decision of a lower court. In this case, the U.S. Supreme Court reviewing the dismissal of the lawsuit by the Fourth Circuit. In their motion, the officers once again argue that their claims of misconduct by Mosby are grounded in her investigatory activities, not her prosecutorial activities, and that the Fourth Circuit misapplied existing case law in dismissing their suit on the basis of absolute immunity. Now, relatively few cases are granted certiorari by the U.S. Supreme Court, so the prospects for this matter being heard, including by our newest Associate Justice, Brett Kavanaugh, are slim. It would, however, be nice to see some adult supervision applied to check the abuse of conduct demonstrated by a small minority of out-of-control prosecutors. Prosecutors do need a great deal of discretion in order to do their jobs effectively, but no government official's discretion should be without limits, and conduct beyond their official functions and duties would seem to fall outside the bounds of the protections they enjoy through such doctrines as absolute immunity. And on a personal note, should Mosby in particular end up being the Supreme Court's nail in this matter? It couldn't happen to a nicer gal. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawselfdefense.com forward slash show. I also encourage you to visit our Law Self-Defense Patreon page where we have free Law Self-Defense blog content and optional higher value paid content for just $4.99 a month. Plus, for patrons, a free copy of our best-selling book, The Law of Self-Defense, or a DVD, your choice. Find all that at lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Patreon. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. Well, that's quite a case. I, I remember that whole thing going down with uh, Baltimore PD and uh, Marilyn Mosby. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. And, and I know it gets confusing listening to all like the qualified immunity thing and everything, but it's just, um, I mean, yeah, you have to, when you engage in things like that, when you're like a prosecutor or a police officer and, and you're going and, and, and doing certain things and putting yourself out there, you do have to have some sort of level of um, immunity to certain things if you're acting within the scope of your duty, right? Um, yeah. I think that's kind of like what what the crux of it is is was she acting in her her, her official capacity as a, you know her duty when she was making these statements and doing these things or um, was she kind of stepping out of bounds and and so if she was would she be open to you know being sued um, so it's an interesting interesting argument yep.
Yeah. Her, her deciding to charge as officers was from what I observed, uh, it seemed to me to be very much politically motivated. And, oh, it, uh, it couldn't have not been because yeah. it was made before the investigation was even done. Yeah, right. Yeah. So like when, yeah. if you, you know, if you jump to a conclusion like that so quickly, um, you're, you're not doing your due diligence to find out actually what happened. So it's a, it's a difficult thing for people to understand sometimes in this day and age where we're so used to getting information at our fingertips and information coming so quickly a lot of times and everybody's got their cell phone, everyone's got, you know, their, their video camera rolling. And, uh, you know, so we, we see this every time there's any sort of high profile shooting of any sort and immediately, you know, the, the public, the mob, if you will, is right there to say, you know, to, is quick to say, oh, those guys, you know, that person was in the wrong or this person was in the wrong or this guy, you know, he screwed up. And you know, we, we have to understand and still be civil as a society. We, we can't let the mob rule. We have to be civil and understand there's a process for things that we do due diligence, that we complete investigations. And so often, and I, I, I'm getting, I think, better and better at calling a lot of these things. Like so many of these types of uh, you know, officer-involved shootings where they shoot somebody and people think it was racially motivated or whatever, um, you know, and it's like you can kind of look at this at the case. You can kind of you can look at the video, and yes, on one hand, it might look like one thing, but you have to understand that we got to have proof beyond a reasonable doubt, and that that prosecutor has to have substantial evidence that would indicate you know to them that they think that they can actually win that case because they're not going to bring charges against somebody if they can't win that case. No prosecutor wants to look like a failure by not being able to win cases. And it's so, actually ethically inappropriate for them to bring cases that they they don't feel I agree. you know that they can they can successfully um charge people with because if they don't um they could that you could get into a, a, a situation where prosecutors are just charging people or just charging people because they can as a as a you know a punishment knowing that they can't ultimately get a conviction but i'm going to charge this person to put them through uh court the court process to as a punishment in itself you know and that's just that's why prosecutors must have a pretty good idea that they can win the case um, you know, before they even bring it to court. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff, man. All right. So folks, let's jump now into our first news story of the week. We're going to start off with, uh, speaking of officer involved shootings. Uh, this is a story reported on Owensboro times.com, uh, in Kentucky. Kentucky State Police state, state that a homeowner unknowingly shot a police officer. And basically, here's how it went down. It was around 6.30 a.m. on Tuesday. No, let's see what day. Actually, it's not very clear what date it was. I'd have to go back and dig a little bit more. But it was 6.30 in the morning. This is just in the last uh, week or so. <clears throat> An officer, Zachary Morse of Owensboro Police Department, responded to a call of a suspicious person possibly breaking into parked vehicles. He arrived on the scene and observed a person matching the description. The suspect fled on foot. So that's not suspicious at all, right? Cop shows up to a call. People think that this dude's breaking into cars. As soon as the cop shows up, the dude takes off, right? So the officer jumps out. He gives chase. He lost sight of the fleeing suspect behind some houses. He was obviously, you know, continuing to try to find him, locate him. And he was checking in a fenced-in area. 
near a home, and the homeowner of, the, of that home shot at the officer, striking him. It did strike him below his ballistic vest, so he was wounded, but he was taken to the hospital, had surgery, and, and is recovering and expected to be okay. But uh, the, the fact is you have a, an officer that is in pursuit of a suspect. He's allowed to pursue that suspect, uh, and he ends up in a situation, and it's probably a little bit low light, right? Because it's fairly mm-hmm. early in the morning still. Uh, at least it's not ideal light. It's not day bright, you know, so it, it's it's plausible that it's fairly low light condition. And a uh, homeowner, all he knows is somebody is somewhere near my home or in my, you know, messing with my fence or whatever it is. Uh, and he may even look out and see somebody with a gun in their hand. So he, this homeowner grabs their gun and shoots at him. And unfortunately, it's a cop. So I, I, I think this is, uh, I mean, obviously, it's an unfortunate incident. Um, and I also think it's an incident which there's really not any fault, probably. That at least I don't, I don't see this going anywhere. But I definitely think that there's some lessons we can learn from this. Uh, I think there's ways we can try to uh, uh, you know, keep this from happening. As as civilians, you know, imagine this is yourself in your home, and and you're in this you know in this situation. I think that there's some things that you could do that might help prevent shooting a cop because no one wants to shoot cops. And the cop, by the way, did draw his gun and did fire back, but did not strike anybody or any. Well, he didn't strike anybody, uh, including the homeowner. So, but I think at some point it was realized, oh hey, you know this is a, a you know blue on blue type sort of you know thing. Yeah, you know, what struck me is I've had this happen, not not been shot at by a homeowner, but I've, you know, pursued people at night behind in, in people's property and things like that. And it did, it, it always was something on my mind. Like, is this worth it? I'm going into somebody's backyard. I don't know um, if they're going to mistake me as a, as a prowler or whatnot. Um, it, the, the danger is I see on both sides, uh, uh, you know, as far as the shooting part of it. Um, number one, the homeowner, you know, if you see somebody outside your home, um, even if they do have a gun, it, it, you know, your first call should be on to the police, right? And, and so this happened quite a bit where, um, you know, people would call, you know, after the fact, I'd go and, and talk to the homeowner and say, hey, we're in your backyard doing this or that or whatnot. And they say, yeah, I called the police and they told me that you were back there. So, you know, that's, that's a good thing. You get on the, the disc on with dispatch and you're saying, Hey, I live over here. And they're likely going to say, okay, those are officers in the area looking for somebody stay in your home, lock your door. You know, so, um, that should be your first call. Now, I mean, obviously you're at a higher heightened state of awareness and, and, uh, you see somebody outside your home that you're not identifying exactly with a firearm. But part of me says, how do you know that the person has a firearm if you can't identify them as a, as a law enforcement officer, right? Like tip, cause ideally this guy's going to be, the officer's going to be wearing a uniform. So if you have the, enough yeah. detail or light to be able to see the firearm or say, yes, I saw this person with a gun, then you would suspect that you would have enough light to identify the person as a police officer. So I don't know if this person shot shot at the officer because they saw a firearm it's possible but i'm thinking they shot at a noise or they shot at somebody outside their home um and then the officer on the other hand shoots back not knowing where it came from you know right. or shooting in keeping in mind direction. he's looking he's looking for a suspect that could right. or could or could not you know may or may not be armed so exactly. as soon as he hears a gunshot he is going to immediately turn and address that gunshot 
Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a cascading error, you know, that, that kind of affects everybody. So I just think, um, we've covered it too many times or not, not too, enough times or, you know, however you want to say it, but it can never recover too, too much that you got to identify her before you pull that trigger. You have to. Um, and I would probably say the same thing to the officer, you know, it, you know, especially, it, I mean, imagine him hitting this person in the home or somebody else or an officer that's coming up to, to assist him because he fired at, at the sound of where he thought a shot was coming from. And I get it, you know, I understand, but um, I just think everywhere we have to do everything we can not to pull the trigger unless we know exactly where our sights are and those sights are on a threat that needs to be shot. So. Yeah. Yep. Uh, comment here from Matthew. He says, uh, not not you, Matthew, but another Matthew. Says, oh. uh, he, he typed in here in the comments, SSS. And that, and uh, at first I was like, SSS. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> the triple S disease, as uh, Jacob likes to call it. Uh, uh, shapes, shadows, and sounds, as it's mm-hmm. defined by Jacob. Uh, so true. You know, I, I kind of wondered this as well, uh, that, you know, perhaps the homeowner saw a silhouette or a shape of somebody perhaps with a gun in their hand and shot at that shadow or shape or whatever. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, we've, we've talked about that a number of times. Uh, another comment from another listener said, uh, you got to identify your target first. And, mm-hmm. and that, that, that's, that's obviously where I was going with this whole discussion is I don't know or see that this homeowner necessarily is going to be charged with anything. It does say in the news story that he was detained for questioning and no charges have been filed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that you know a prosecutor is going to take great discretion and look at a case like this and go, you know what? What he did is not entirely unreasonable in that he may have perceived a, a, a threat, but it's like I said, it's still one of those things that I think could have been I, – I really truly believe probably – 95% plus certainty. I mean, I, cause I, I wasn't there, so I didn't see, you know, what this guy saw for himself, but so there, there is always going to be that little bit of uncertainty as, as to what may have actually occurred. But, but I'm fairly certain that this guy could have avoided it if he had a couple of things in place. Number one, if he had a good light, either on his gun or a handheld light, he needed something, you know, to where he could have identified the threat, what he thought may have been the threat. Cause that, that's, that's the thing. Like, we don't shoot at things we can't see or identify. We we covered the story a couple months ago where the father and the son went to watch like a meteor shower and mm-hmm. they were walking back to the vehicle at the end of the night and the, the father suddenly heard his son, but he thought, he thought it was maybe a mountain lion or something running up from behind him and he just turned, grabbed his gun and shot. Well, you know, you still got to like, you, you might have to get tackled by that mountain lion first. That's that's mm-hmm. the reality of it. Like by nature of us carrying a gun for self-defense purposes, that's a key thing there is that it's for defensive pur- purposes and that that means that we always have to start somewhat at a disadvantage, right? Mm-hmm. There has to be something that initiates that that use or threat of deadly force from us, not not the other way around. And uh Still, once again, you know, this guy may have seen somebody outside his home with something that may have looked like a gun in his hand. But you still have to try, you have to make a a reasonable attempt to identify that. And I'll tell you, unless it's like 
a you know specialized SWAT team that's going to make some sort of special hit on a known felons, you know, drug dealers, violent criminals house, you know, where they're dressed down in all subdued colors, nothing reflective, that sort of thing. You know, they're going in the middle of the night. All cops wear a very highly reflective badge on their on their chest. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you may not be able to see that, but you know, depending on where you're at, but still, like that compared to being able to see a gun in low light, like you, no matter what, you should be, probably be able to see that badge. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're sh- you're shooting somebody in the back because you don't you're not seeing the front of them, or you're just not taking enough time to identify the threat. Anyway, yep, yep, yep. Good good it lesson comes. learned there. So have a light, right? Use that light yeah. if need be, um, or don't pull the trigger until you're absolutely certain what you're shooting at. This could have been, I mean, how many times too have we covered stories where family members come home, you know? All the time. And, and it's dark, and for whatever reason, you know, so, I don't know. We don't know, always know sure. the reasons why. But this could be exactly that type of situation as well. You know, son or grandson or somebody is peeking over the fence. Grandpa hears it. So grandpa pulls out his gun and fires a shot at, at a shadow. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, good thoughts too earlier uh, as far as like, hey, you're in your home. Like just take cover in, in your home. Call number one, all that, right? Yeah. Missoula, Montana. I love Missoula because Missoula is on the way to Glacier National Park, and Glacier National Park is pretty dang awesome. I spent a week there a few years ago photographing uh, in the park, and it was awesome, except for the weather was like too good. And that might sound kind of strange, right? But for a photographer – you kind of want like you want to ride that edge of like you know kind of not great weather and kind of good weather you know you don't want to be like miserable but you also want some good clouds and things coming you know so you have nice pretty skies nice sunsets or sunrises or whatever it was just like clear blue like all week long so anyway but it's a beautiful park missoula is uh my, my mother lived there for a time when she was a kid and what i know about missoula is that yes, it's Western Montana. Yes, it's Montana, but there is definitely a little bit of a dare I say liberal streak. <laughs> I know we try to avoid partisan things here in the podcast, but but there's definitely folks there that are not as inclined to be pro Second Amendment. Not that it's a huge majority, but it's kind of like living in Colorado to a degree, where Colorado is like fifty fifty, uh, you know on one side and 50-50 on the other side. 50-50, you know, pro-gun pro and anti-gun and so forth. It's a very, very evenly mixed state. Missoula is a fairly mixed uh, place, even though it's in rural western uh, Montana. So recently, the city council clarified a ban on firearms in Missoula parks, polling places, and public buildings. So apparently they had an ordinance on the books, and it said something along the lines of, uh, let's see if I can, f- it's further down. Uh, here it is. At least I thought it was. So apparently they had an ordinance that said, <sighs> I'm sorry, I thought I had it again. You, ha- you have to understand, sometimes journalists write things so confusing. <laughs> You're trying to follow things, you know, you read an article, you get, but basically they had an ordinance that said that uh, you couldn't carry a, a firearm open or concealed or otherwise in certain public places, um, 
it says here it prohibits carrying of firearms in, in the city council chambers or other buildings where the council might meet, public museums, public schools. Well, that's pretty much a given in most cases anyway. And the Missoula Public Library. And and they also uh, stated that it you know couldn't carry into parks and other in other places as well. So the thing is, is that the uh, attorney, uh, the city attorney, asked for, or excuse me, the county attorney's office asked for clarification because elections are coming up. But they have they have some schools that are under construction, and normally the schools would be used as polling places. But then they're having to move those polling places outside of the schools, and they felt like there was some uh, some unclear parts of the ordinance as far as whether people would be able to carry a gun into some of those you know public places, other buildings where the polling or you know where the voting would be taking place. So naturally, inside of a school where many schools are used for as polling places, it's public school. In most cases, in most states, public K through twelve schools are off limits for guns. So, you know, it's a situation where they probably didn't really need much of a clarification in the past, but now moving some of those polling places out of the public schools, then they felt like they were in a situation where they needed clarification on the law. Now, I kind of wonder if there was, you know, I'd like to know a little bit more about this, uh, uh, you know, county prosecutor or whatever and and their personal views on guns. Because it seems to me that, like, when does a prosecutor go out of the way to ask for a clarification proactively in, in in this kind of situation. You know what I mean? Like, it, mm-hmm. like something had to bring this to their, to, to light, uh, right. you know, like, you know, Hmm, boy, we're having to move some polling places. You know, there's this law. We should probably look into that. You know, like, right. like that just, you know, something doesn't add up here. I think there was definitely an agenda from somebody somewhere, whether it's that prosecutor or somebody reached out to that prosecutor's office to say, hey, you know, like, can I carry my gun into these polling places now? Or can people carry guns in these polling places? Something had to bring this to light. So, sorry, I know I'm getting kind of off in the weeds, but as far as telling the story, but what it comes down to is that the city council passed uh, – new ordinances now making it very clear where they are not okay with guns. And they made it very clear that all polling places, regardless of of where that polling place is, all city parks and other places are off limits to guns. Mm -hmm. And they had overwhelming uh, opposition from people testifying at this city council meeting saying, this is not cool and we don't support it. But yet still the council passed it by a vote of like eight to three. Um, I, I thought it was pretty awesome. Councilwoman Julie Armstrong, I got to give her a shout out because uh, she seems like she's a very pro Second Amendment person. She tried to offer several uh, compromises and amendments, uh, loosening the gun restrictions, but it didn't go anywhere. Yeah, and, and it's it, the thing that bother or the thing that should bother people, or I think is most troubling about this, is that they they passed it as an emergency measure, so it it didn't go through this you know, normal due process of like letting everybody um, exactly see what's going on and and weigh in exactly. Um, And like you said, there was something that key that, that, that made this come to light, right? Because um, there, there's, um, there's other statements uh, uh, from like some of the residents is like, which made sense. It says uh, we're trying to solve a problem. That's not a problem right now. So it's like, what is the problem? 
it's not like there's been issues with people carrying concealed or open in parks yep. um, where they're saying we have to address it because it's a problem. Let's fix it. Maybe right. we stop. I mean, and, and if we're, we're so they, concerned about these law abiding citizens that have permits. Right. So like if, if there was an issue going on and they wanted to address it by prohibiting firearms, then. Okay, I, I mean, I wouldn't be for it, but like I can understand, right? You, you yeah. differ on the policy. Um, but when there's not an issue and then out of nowhere, it's like, oh, we need to do this right now. And it's like, well, why? What, what, what's the problem? I, you, you always have to be skeptical of stuff like that. And I think that that's kind of what, ended, what happened here is that the, the voters kind of got duped in a way. And, and this kind of got passed very quickly under the auspice of, you know, we have to address this really quickly because people are going to be bringing guns into polling places and, and everything, you know, and it's like, really, they're still probably going to be carry them into polling places concealed and you're just not going to know, right? Like yep. it, it's, it's not an issue. It's, it, if it hasn't been an issue, so, why? Someone made that point in that council meeting too. And I thought, mm -hmm. you know, like they basically said, uh, I'm pretty sure I know people that are still going to carry a gun concealed, mm -hmm. even exactly. though it's in violation of this ordinance, but because it's not, because it's concealed and nobody's going to know about it, they're still going to do it, you know, and you guys right. will, you know, you guys are none, none the wiser. No, you know, no one's going to know, no one's going to get hurt, hurt. <clears throat> this is unenforceable. And I'm not necessarily advocating that we we violate law by uh, uh, carrying in places that are against the law, but uh, um but but you know it's, it's a really great point, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're so concerned, like I said, about these law-abiding people <laughs> that have permits and in some cases have training. Uh, in some cases have a lot of training, and some some do not so much. But still, you know, we're we're worried about the people that we don't need to be worried about, and uh, it, it's just interesting to see this kind of mentality in uh, all levels of government. And we're just seeing this on a city level. So we'll, let's talk now about. Uh, in Delaware, on the NRAILA.org site, there's a story here. It says, round two, gun rights groups prevail again in second challenge to firearm restrictions in Delaware state parks slash force. So it's kind of a similar thing, right? Mm -hmm. Where where the state of Delaware, and actually not the state so much, but, but, the, but well, it is the state. It's part of the state. But their Department of Agri Agriculture and Department of Natural Resources and Environmental Control, uh, apparently one of those departments oversees state parks and the other one oversees state forests. And in both cases, those agencies tried to pass laws that uh, made it illegal to carry a firearm in uh, they, what do they call it, designated areas or sensitive right. places, mm -hmm. and, and and by definition they were including parks and state forests and things like that. And in both, and so two times now it's happened where, uh, you know, this type of legislation or not legislation but regulation was was passed or put forward, and they were sued. The state was sued and lost, and then they tried to revise the. The regulation, so that it, you know, they tried to skirt the ruling of the court, and so they revised things, and they've sued again and stopped yet again. In mm -hmm. in both cases, in the courts, basically saying Delaware is an open carry state. This right to bear arms includes the right to do so for purposes of hunting, recreation, and protection of self and family, both inside and outside the home. Right. Simple as that. Yeah, there were some crazy, crazy things in there that um, they try to pass and say any anybody entering the parks is subject to being searched, mm. um, and they can run your background. And it's like, what? You're, so you're going to basically just start 
basically stopping people like that, that's the definition of a police state, right? Like you're just stopping people. Hey, do you have a firearm? I'm going to run you, you know, it, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and so they were like, no, you're, you're violating people's due process. This is crazy. Um, you know, get your act together. And so, uh, it, and it kind of underscores again, man, like that, that governments, there, there's a lot of laws out there that are unconstitutional. I'm telling you, and it, it only becomes an issue when somebody challenges it. Right. So, and it's difficult. You can't normally challenge it on your own, right? Normally it's a group or, um, you, you have to have money. And so, um, yeah. a lot of cities and legislatures pass ordinances and laws that are completely unconstitutional and would not hold up in court, but nobody challenges it. Yep. And, and so when they are challenged, you know, it's like, yeah, like you can't do that. stuff. Um, Yep. But yeah, th- this was twice defeated. So I think th- I think they should just stop, yep. right? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, keep in mind, by the way, I think it's Delaware that uh, while, especially compared to New Jersey and New York, is quite a bit more pro-gun than s- some of its neighboring states. Uh, but I think it's Delaware, if I'm not mistaken, where when you apply for a permit, one of the steps you gotta you gotta perform is you have to put a notice in the local papers and like so many days in advance that notifies all of your city, county, all your neighbors, whatever, that Riley Bowman is applying for a permit. <laughs> it's crazy sometimes some of these laws we have as, it, as you know, as it relates to concealed carrier or firearms. Speaking of which, this is a big one on the seattletimes.com. <clears throat> Washington state has an initiative, a ballot initiative, where the voters of the state of Washington will have the opportunity to uh, vote this into law or not. So um, basically what's included in this, this is is initiative number 1639. And it will enhance background checks, raise the purchase age for semi-automatic firearms from 18 to 21, and like that's kind of like okay, yep, we're seeing that all all the time these days. But there's some other stuff here that gets really fun. The <laughs> sarcasm dripping through the microphone here. <laughs> the measure would also require firearms training before a semi-automatic rifle can be purchased. Just just to purchase. <laughs> we're not talking about permits or anything here. Just to buy the rifle. A 10-day waiting period after the purchase of that same semi-automatic rifle. And adds a Class C felony to the books for gun owners whose firearm is accessed by a person prohibited from having a firearm. Meaning, meaning, your child, your 15-year-old, your 14-year-old, whomever, gets a hold of a gun, maybe maybe younger than that, does something with that gun, commits suicide. And suicide, by the way, is a big focus of this uh, article, and I'm going to touch on that in just a second here. Or they go and they shoot somebody, they shoot a school, whatever it is. And like, yes, I get that, that, you know, that's not cool that for whatever reason you did something that allowed uh, a person that shouldn't have had that gun, get a hold of that gun and go do something bad with it. Uh, but making that a felony, holy smokes. Yeah. Like th- this is, this is hardcore. This is heavy handed. Uh, that's know, even if I somebody... Think it, that's even if somebody's not your relative, like uh, if somebody breaks into your home, steals your gun, and goes and uses it in a yeah, crime. Yeah, that's kind of what yeah. I was about to say. I think that this this that's on the table as well. 
What what if somebody broke into your home, used your gun against you, and killed you? Would would they sue like your spouse? You know, like, hey, your husband's dead. We can't sue him. It's his gun. So we're going to sue you for not, or we're going to, no, sorry, not sue you. We're going to arrest charge you for you. a felony. Right. Yeah, charge you because well, you, you're, you know, you're going to. It's like, the other what? thing I'm thinking about is is you have a situation where a child gets a hold of a gun and accidentally kills themselves. Like, you know, we're talking a young child or kills their sibling on accident. And, uh, you know, you're already... Like you, you've suffered greatly just having that sort of thing happen to you. Now it shouldn't happen. We should all be responsible fire, firearm owners, but like you're already suffering. And I think a misdemeanor, you know, if you if you want to go there, I think a misdemeanor is plenty to hand to somebody that's already had their their world, their life turned completely upside down. But no, no, we're going to make it a felony. You're going to go to jail for a long time, at least a year, and probably longer. I don't know what a class C felony, uh, what what the uh, typical uh, sentencing is like for that, but it, almost all felonies are at least greater than a year imprisonment, and then you can never own a firearm again. That is mm-hmm. that is heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. Not cool. Yeah. So I know that we have Doyle on the podcast. He's he's viewing today and, and commenting, and he's I know he's from Washington State because he makes sure to tell us every time. Love you, Doyle. Uh, we're glad to have a listener from Washington State, and he said like early on in the chat... We got to vote against this. And I don't know how many folks we have uh, from uh, uh, Washington State viewing or listening to the podcast, but uh, boy, it, I, this is the first I'm really hearing a lot about this. I heard a little bit of chatter last week, but all of a sudden, this just is coming out of nowhere. And this is some this is a big, big, big deal. This could really change the face of gun laws in Washington State. Yeah, and and the, the weird thing is, it's it's like the way that they they phrase this, and, and like the drive, it's it's correlating or it's drawing um, a causation between the number of gun laws and the suicide rate. Or yeah, uh, and, I was going to touch on that. Ridiculous. So it, yep. they're trying to draw a correlation or or a causation, <laughs> right? So there's correlation. Like you could say, yeah, this state has a lot of gun laws and. It has fewer um, suicides, and this, you know, y- y- yeah, but you don't know if that's the cause of the suicide, right? Like, you you can't say the right. number of gun laws. So it's like this state has fifteen gun laws, and their suicide rate is this. This state has sixteen gun laws, and so it's like let's just the more gun laws, it doesn't matter if they're good, bad, what the intention is. <laughs> like, let's just make a mil- like let's have a hundred. Let's be the state with the most number of gun laws. It doesn't matter if they make sense. <laughs> Let's just, because I've never like apparently according to this stat, if you just simply add gun laws, then yeah, your, your suicide that's rate will exactly go down. Exactly so, what they're saying here. So yeah, exactly. I'm glad you went there because boy, <laughs> I've been queuing up for this, <laughs> teeing up. Boy, I'm gonna I'm gonna launch with a massive oh drive on the course. No, no. Here's the thing. Um, yeah, I, I was looking at this chart, and uh, I feel like. I feel like I really need to share this with folks that are viewing with us right now. Folks, if you're listening, you know, of course, we put show notes online uh, of every episode. Today's episode, you can find the the, the show notes, uh, abbreviated link to get there. Just go to concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 265, and you'll see the show notes. And you can look at all these news stories. We, we put every single news story we talk about in the podcast in the show notes. And so you see here this chart, all right? And it says gun-related suicide rates, and it points at Washington, where it says it has a suicide rate of 6.62 per 100,000 residents, and that they have a number, the number of gun laws they have on the books is 43. 
Okay. Oh, bravo. We are so much lower than Nevada, Utah, and Colorado, and Oklahoma. Uh, Nevada has a suicide rate of 10.9, Utah 10.95, Colorado 10.73, Oklahoma 12.92. Apparently, these are the some of the highest. Uh, so Oklahoma apparently is the highest, and then Utah, and then Nevada, and Kentucky, and Colorado. And it points to them as though they have few gun laws. But here's what's interesting. Like, their own logic, in my opinion, is burst, is blown to bits just by this right here, right in front of our face, looking at Utah and Colorado, two states, neighboring states that aren't all that different. Well, other than there's a lot, there's definitely some religious differences, but but <laughs> they're not all that different culturally as far as like they're both big time like outdoorsy type states. They're, they both have you know big time rural areas. They do have a couple of larger cities in certain pockets. Uh, they're in the kind of same region of the country, Rocky Mountains, fairly high elevation. T- the temperature, the climate, everything is is fairly similar. And you point at the fact that these are two states that are fairly high in suicides. And apparently they don't have enough gun laws. But look at Utah. 10.95 is its suicide rate. And it had, they have 11 gun laws apparently on the books. Colorado is a little bit less, a little bit less, but not substantially so. But it has three times the gun laws on the books. Colorado is vastly more uh, more restrictive than Utah. We have look at Kentucky. Yes, Kentucky Kentucky has has seven laws apparently, and their suicide rate is ten point eight four. Right. Colorado has thirty laws and it's ten point seven three. So by by their logic, Colorado should be vastly better. Correct. In terms of suicides compared to these two states. Now, here's another thing. Let's look at the East Coast, the Northeast specifically. It points at the states with the lowest suicide rates. New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts. They're all in like the ones and twos. Just look at Rhode Island and Connecticut. Rhode Island has 43 gun laws. The same as Washington State, I might add. But its suicide rate's 2.83. Washington State was what? 6.62. Connecticut has 90 laws on the books and has a suicide rate of 2.73. Ten, yeah, it's one, it's you know, uh, uh, 10, let's see, one tenth of a point less than Rhode Island. So, so Rhode, Connecticut has twice the number of laws, but is not really any different than Rhode Island, a neighboring state, I might add. Washington has the same number of laws as Rhode Island, but has a at least double or a little more than double. The suicide rate. The point is, this this chart means absolutely nothing. This means nothing. It, We're it looking only means at, that they that they are so so ridiculous in trying to draw a correlation between or causation between two things. And this, furthermore, this only covers gun related suicides. And gun related suicides, yeah, it, it it counts for a great number of them. But what about the yes. suicides of people that didn't commit suicide with the with the firearm? You know, like. It's it's a quality of life yes. thing. It's, it's, it's a now, it's a suicide rates are, are are lower p- period in in the Northeast than it mm-hmm. is in the West or in the Midwest. It is it, a fact. But but here's here, it's it's more complex than that. Absolutely, culture is different. Uh, people are different. Attitudes are different. Then, I mean, you look exactly, man. Like the the middle class, like the, going jobs going away, people struggling to make ends meet. I mean, that's probably more a driving factor of suicides than the number of gun laws on the books. You know, yeah. but that is 
it's just so this is why this kind of stuff is pure propaganda that is just it's bogus. It is. So, yeah. All right. I know we got to move on, but uh, <laughs> I, I saw this and I went, oh, oh my yeah. gosh. Like, oh, it just makes yeah. my head hurt. <laughs> Basically, what we have here is we have states that are grouped. You know, they're in the same region of the country. We have two different groups. We have like the Western states and we have the Northeastern states. And what you'll see if you look at suicide rates across the country, that's a trend that different areas of the country have similar cultures, similar attitudes about mental health and suicide and things like that, and different ways of handling things and handling problems. And certainly the availability of guns means that they are more likely to be involved in a suicide in places where they are more commonly available. But, but, it's more complex than that. Like you can't reason from this type of information that magically by passing more laws, we will automatically see a decrease in suicide. Terrible. Stupid. Terrible reporting from Seattle Times. I'm not terribly surprised being the Seattle Times, but nonetheless. Fake news. Washington Times says staffers laud Claudia, Miss, or not Claudia, Claire McCaskill for hiding gun views in undercover video. She's really good about strategy. Now, I'm, I'm not going to really spend a whole lot of time on this particular story, but uh, just to say that uh, this is interesting. You know, this is that same group, uh, the Project Veritas, which is headed by James O'Keefe. And he's done all these kind of sting operation type videos, uh, Planned Parenthood, and these other organizations that he's gone after. And this is just another on his list of, of, of folks organizations he's gone after with this type of uh, operation and and i think it's cool like you know what I, I have no problem with this this sort of thing as long as he's not like breaking laws and stuff uh you know to to go kind of undercover and bring to light truth and i mean and the truth here is not anything that should surprise anybody you have a anti-gunner in a state that is kind of a red state and you know she's she's concerned about re-election so mm-hmm. she is going to definitely play her base as, as as far as her constituents as best as she can in a way that, hey, look, I'm actually not as anti-gun as you think I am. But then she'll totally turn right around and vote for, for pro, pro-gun pro control you know, legislation. That's, that's not a surprise power, to anybody. Man. It's all about power and keeping power. For sure. Why don't you tell us what's going on with Glock and SIG? Yeah, not they're not friends. They haven't been friends for a while. Um, so yeah, so Sig suing Glock for patent infringement type deal um, on their uh, Generation Five, uh, like the Glock nineteen um, X, I believe, um, and I think the other. I'm not sure if it's all um, Gen Fives or just the nineteen X, but I believe it's just the nineteen X. Um, but yeah, and, and so they're suing suing Glock, which it's all, it's all Gen fives. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought I read. Um, so yeah, and it, I mean, obviously that's a, that would be a huge hit, right? Um, it, but what struck me here is not the fact that Sig suing Glock, but the fact that that like any company, any gun company sues another company for like patent infringement because you take apart guns and you look at them, and lots of times you're like. Dude, this is the exact same striker assembly as, you know, a Smith and Wesson or whatever, right? And I'm like, I'm surprised this company isn't getting sued, right? So it's like, I, I you know, I, I think there's a lot of um, patent stealing or processes and, and and 
guns that are replicated all all the time um and i think this is just like some bad blood over the government contract um between <laughs> sig and glock i i think you know so. well well here's another thing though i mean uh, sig was sued by uh steyer over their uh, uh modular you know so the sig p320 has the the trigger, you know, what they call actually the frame. This is the armorer's language. Uh, you have the frame of a P320 is actually like the trigger group, you know, but it f- essentially functions as the frame of the gun, right? And then the grip itself that p- most people would think of as the frame is, they, you know, it's just a piece of plastic. They call it the, fr- the grip module, right? But uh, Steyer came, apparently came up with the idea originally. They sued SIG over the the deal and I don't know how that all I don't remember how that all got worked out but I will say this much so basically what Sig is saying here about Glock the Gen 5s and the 19X is that the 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 ambidextrous slide stop is a copy of Sig's I will say actually thinking about it I, it is a it is, there's definitely some very strong similarities now I I hear your point man as far as like you know, take all a bunch. You know, take a take a bunch of Sigs, Glocks, XDs. You know, Rugers, whatever. Apart, Smith and Wessons, and compare them all. And yeah, of course, there's similarities between them all. They're all striker fired guns. They're all semi automatic. You know, they they they, they share heritage in in you know uh, designs that go that even date back you know way before their time as well. Um, as far as uh, the breech lockup and everything. So, uh, you know, like I get it, but yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I I definitely think that Glock brought this on themselves to some degree, as yeah. far as let's sue because Sig got the army contract. Exactly. Now Sig is you know by by Glock announcing and releasing the Gen Fives, Sig is like, hmm, all right, you, you wanted to you know you wanted to play ball, well we'll play ball. So I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, what we do know is that overall uh, sales for these companies are probably down nationwide since uh, things have been over you know over overall kind of down uh, with the uh, gun industry in terms of sales. Uh, so you know they when 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 the going's good like they're probably less inclined to be petty and stuff. But now things are you know you got to fight for more market share because. Uh, there's not as much going around for everybody as there as there once was. So, agreed. All righty, we got a story here. Uh, we're calling this uh, "What Not to Do," <laughs> and uh, the story goes: This is in Fresno, California. Uh, a man was uh, robbed and by two individuals. Uh, the story goes that he was approached. Uh, he was in front of the El, Mer- El Mercado Market. Uh, by two individuals, they pepper sprayed him, and he thought he was being robbed. He reached into his car, got out a handgun that he owned, and the suspects, it says here, quoting, I believe, yes, a lieutenant with the police department there. The, this is this is a direct quote from him. The victim reached into his gar- car, got out a handgun that he owned. The suspects jumped into their own car to take off. The victim fired seven to nine rounds at the tires of the sus- of the suspect vehicle. Hmm. Police searched the area and only found shell casings, but no evidence that the car was hit. The gun is registered to, to the man who was allegedly assaulted, and police say he has no criminal record. So, yeah, 
what, yeah, what's not, the not what not to do here, Matthew? <laughs> Explain, please. Yeah. I think I think if we just ask, you know, the the viewers or listeners to put in the comment and say what's wrong here, they all like hit it right on the head. I mean, like, come on, guys, don't don't shoot at people that are no longer a threat to you, right? If they're jumping in a car and driving away, they're no longer a threat. Right. And so don't fire seven to nine shots at the tires of the vehicle to stop them from leaving because you are in fear of them causing you death or serious bodily injury. If you're in fear of them causing you death or serious bodily injury and they're leaving, let them leave. Don't shoot out their tires so they have to stay. Right. <laughs> right. So well, shoot the tires. That sounds like a great idea because I've seen that in the TV somewhere before. Yeah, it'll work. Hawaii 5 tires- Isn't that what they do? Yeah. <laughs> once once the tires go flat, the, the car stops, right? Like yeah. you like people never drive on the rims for like miles and miles and miles during police chases. That yeah, never yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah, totally. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh don't do that, please. All right. So like I, I feel bad for this guy, you know. I mean, that's that has to be a pretty scary situation to be in. Um, I'm not saying he wasn't justified, at least initially, to to do something. I mean, like being pepper sprayed, uh that I, I I would say that's probably enough to go ahead and you know go to the gun, but he went to the gun and guess what? Here's the amazing thing, and this is where we got to make sure we make the we got to connect this idea in our minds, or uh, and that is that we go to the gun when justified to stop the threat. Well, the amazing thing is is that when these guys jumped in their car to leave, <laughs> the threat stopped. Mm-hmm. That, that that's a that's a hard one though sometimes for people to like and, and and they're caught up in the moment and they may not have they're they're not as prepared probably as what I hope our podcast listeners are that we've we've talked about these things again and again hopefully we've all done various mental exercises our mindset is right we've we've prepped ourselves to understand ahead of time that if if this is what happens if I'm in this you know we share these stories I think more importantly than anything I don't you may not even agree with or care what our analysis of it is, but share the story and understand that that you know what went wrong in that story, and then place yourself in that same person's shoes. Okay, and we've over time we share hundreds and hundreds of these stories, and hopefully, what comes out of that is at least a little bit of knowledge that you can apply to your mindset that says, well, if I'm in this situation, if I'm in that situation. The, the, I know what I'm going to do ahead of time. I know that when the suspect leaves the scene, I need to stop pulling the trigger. When he gets in his car and leaves, I need to stop pulling the trigger. When the suspect jumps back out the window of my house that he just broke into, well, then I need to stop pulling the trigger because the focus is on stopping the threat. All right. Justified save stories. Fresno teen kills his father, protect his mom, sheriff's office says. This according to Fresno B. FresnoB.com. That's the publication. Uh, so this is in the same general area as that last story we just shared. Although this yeah. one we're calling it Justified Save. Here's the situation. Pretty straightforward story. Not a lot of details. Basically, you had a, a family. You had a father who's 54 years old, a mother who's 49 years old, a son who's 16 years old. Uh, the father had been drinking and allegedly began choking his 49-year-old wife at the home. The 16-year-old boy then apparently grabbed a gun and shot the father, and the father died. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I, and what what struck me is I, rem, I you know 
I remember investigating domestic violence cases all the time, and the the husband and wife will always have their opposite sides, right, of the story. If there's ever a kid that witnessed this situation, always interview the kids separately because the kids are always going to give you a better idea of what actually happened and the backstory. And likely this 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 guy has been drinking for a long time uh, throughout the years. They have a history of fighting the mo- mother and the father. He knows that the father is violent. I mean, this isn't probably the, the first time this ever happened. He just pulled out a gun, right? And shot his dad um, because that, that'd be a big thing to do. Um, but I, I bet you, if you interviewed this kid, if they, and they probably likely did, you know, obviously um, he, he, he explained the, the history that, that was there that, further uh underscored why he ended up feeling that he had to shoot his dad not every time mother and father get into a a fight is the kid gonna grab a gun and shoot them but i'm likely there was other stuff that this kid witnessed and and led him to believe that yeah this time his dad really was going to do something uh very bad yep no Sad story, tragic story. Uh, I hate. I mean, regardless of the history of this father and his son and and that family, uh, regardless of how bad of a person this man may have been, uh, I can't imagine trying to spend the rest of my life living with this type of thing hanging over me. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, hopefully that young man gets some help psychologically. Hopefully he's able to reconcile, understand. Well, it was you know dad or it was mom and. You know, and, and it, honestly, he would have ended up with no parents if dad killed mom because dad would be in jail. So, I mean, like, yeah, he did the right thing, but and you got to wrap your mind around that. But that's still a really, really heavy thing for a 16 year old to handle for the rest of his life. Yeah. New Haven, Connecticut story uh, here police investigate gunfire outside a New Haven bar. Uh, another kind of lacking in detail story. Uh, so we'll get through this pretty quickly here. Basically, the situation goes that a, a 25-year-old man uh, was uh, – uh, well, actually, it started before that where police were investigating gunfire they heard outside of a bar. Uh, but then two hours later, um, a man – well, actually, maybe it's just two hours – let's see. Sometimes these things get confusing. Two hours later, it says a 25-year-old man told police he fired – so it sounds actually, all right, as I read this again, I got confused because it's, it talked about two hours later. Well, it sounds like they didn't initially find whoever right. was it was responsible for firing, firing the shots, which is interesting because if you fire shots and you believe you're in the right, like you should be on the phone immediately calling police <laughs> saying, yeah. you know, hey, uh, something's gone down here. You need to you need to come. Uh, but, uh, cause that's, that's not suspicious at all. You know, when someone fires uh, a gun at somebody and doesn't, doesn't tell anybody about it, but, uh, <laughs> but basically it, it says here, it does not appear that, uh, it doesn't appear that this man was the, the antagonist and I'll explain the rest of the story momentarily. Um, but the, they are still investigating the case. So 25 year old man left a bar as he was leaving a vehicle pulled up alongside of him, addressed him. And then the, the vehicle then made a U-turn and came after him. He, he drew his gun and fired at the vehicle, uh, and that vehicle and the driver uh, fled the scene. And uh, the shooter did have a valid uh, permit, it says. And it, like I said, it does not appear he was the antagonist. So he didn't initiate uh, this altercation, uh, which in most cases, I mean, that would imply that there's some, some amount of, of innocence, 
um, you know, he's not the initial aggressor, uh, that this was, this may have been in, in defense, uh, judging by the fact that this car drove at him. We don't know the words that were exchanged. Uh, once again, it's kind of suspicious that he didn't, you know, that it took two hours for them to find this person, but regardless, that's the story. And as far as we can tell, as far as we read it, it appears to be justified. Yeah, pro- probably took two hours to like, because he was intoxicated and <laughs> wanted to sober up or didn't want to get stopped for. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, there's that, there's that aspect too, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll go report this once I sober up in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and depending on the state, uh, and, de- you know, there, that is one thing that can vary quite a bit from state to state as far as uh, firearms possession or, or carrying concealed in a bar or being in possession of that firearm and being intoxicated to a certain point or level. Mm-hmm. That could vary depending on the state. I have no idea what the law is in Connecticut, but anyway. We have another story. It seems like these these, these last stories of the podcast today, like a couple of them from Fresno, California, a couple of them from, from New Haven, Connecticut. Here's the next one from, from New Haven, Connecticut. Man shoots, kills suspect who stabbed him, his cousin, I guess him and his cousin in New Haven. Uh, New Haven police trying to piece together a rather bizarre double stabbing that ended in a deadly shooting on Thursday night. This story is a little different than most, it says, because the person who's dead is the alleged assailant. Uh, Maybe that's different for most stories (laughs) in New Haven, Connecticut. We're we're probably... uh, we're probably tainted or uh, or uh, biased, uh, Matthew, as far as you know. We read so many stories of people using self defense uh, that uh, this seems like it happens all the time. All right, so all of this happened. It said t- 10 p.m. Tuesday night. 27 year old man was was just walking along the street. He was <clears throat> he was confronted by a man holding a knife. That man reportedly said "Happy Halloween" and then stabbed the victim. The victim's cousin, 24 year old was waiting in his car. We're told he heard the commotion, got out of his car, and was also stabbed. The 24-year-old then took out his gun and shot the assailant in the chest, killing him. The 24-year-old with the gun does have a permit, uh, and it says his gun is also registered. Both men who were stabbed are expected to be okay. They suffered injuries to an elbow and bicep. Uh, their names are not being released, nor the name of the person that was killed. And the police say it doesn't appear to be a case of self-defense. Well, thank goodness, because it sure seems that way to me as well. Random mm-hmm. dude saying ha- happy Halloween and stabbing two two guys on the street. One of those guys yeah. shoots shoots the, shoots the bad guy. <laughs> pretty much open shut as far as it reads here. Yeah, I would say. I mean, who knows? I mean, unless they're lying, right? But um, good good thing the dude had his, had his gun, because who knows? I mean... I don't know. Obviously, the person that does that is probably not in their right mind, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, well, first of all, this dude was like three weeks early for Halloween. So. <laughs> yeah. It's like the. It's like he probably has his Christmas lights up too, and it's like, dude, it's not even Halloween time yet. Like I, my neighbors got their Christmas lights. I'm like, wait till after Halloween. <laughs> I'm all about Christmas lights, dude. But like, just wait till the appropriate time. Yep. Um, so last story and uh, Matthew may have to duck out folks, uh, cause we're up against his, his, uh, hard stop here. And I just got one more story to cover here. Uh, final story is out of Utah and uh, this according, this is actually on our site, concealedcarry.com, uh, in Mill Creek, Utah, last Thursday morning, uh, Shelby Hamilton, it says she's a young barista working the early morning shift at Starbucks and she was assaulted by a deranged man. 
According to her, she was working behind the counter on drink orders when a, when a disheveled man ran into the coffee shop and instead of ordering a drink, ran behind the counter and began to attack her. 37-year-old Benjamin Overall, who police say might have mental issues, began to punch her in the face and the back of the head. He reportedly demanded to know if she knew him. When she replied that she didn't, he became even more angry. But she had nowhere to run. She was caught in, in behind the counter. She was quickly cornered by the man. He then grabbed a metal supply basket and hit her in the head with it. She crumpled to the ground. He began to savagely kick her. Whew, this is pretty bad. It's getting violent in a hurry. Um, nearby coworkers and customers didn't step in to help her, frozen in horror at the beating. That's probably a pretty typical response for most people, especially those that aren't of the mindset like, like we are. Mm-hmm. She looked around for help but didn't see any coming. She started to think why no one was, she, and this is quoting her, I started to think why no one was helping me because he was only hitting me and I felt kind of angry for a moment. As suddenly as the beating had started, overall, the man, the, the disheveled man, stopped his attack and walked away. She tried to hide herself under the counter when she heard a gunshot. The first thought in my mind was that this had turned into a shooting. My second thought was, he just shot my friends. And my third thought was, he's going to come back here and shoot me. So she had no idea what happened. It wasn't until police found her still hiding under the counter that she realized what had happened. Overall, hadn't stopped the attack because he was finished with her. He'd merely turned his focus on a regular customer of, of this Starbucks location, a man in his late 60s, who drew the man's attention away from the barista. Overall, advanced on the still unidentified man who drew the gun, which he is licensed to carry concealed, and shot overall once in the chest, causing him to flee the Starbucks where he was later met by police. Even after being shot, police still needed to use a taser to bring the man down. It wasn't wasn't until after they had him in cuffs that they realized he'd even been shot. What does this dude do? Shoot him with a twenty-two? Uh, but Hamilton, the, the young barista, said of her rescuer, I know his drink. He comes in every morning and get this. She's talking about the, yeah, the, the man that pulled the trigger, right? Gets a blonde, a large blonde coffee in his personal cup. He's always been very sweet. He's been very patient. She went on to say that she was surprised that her rescue came from the regular. So anyway, um, yeah, we are often are in, in a position where, uh, you know, these types of things with the, the Hero might be an unlikely hero, somebody you don't necessarily expect. Thankfully, this man was there. Uh, The situation has been investigated. It does not appear that the Good Samaritan is going to be charged with anything. And uh, according to a number of reports and eyewitness accounts, that uh, once overall the suspect uh, turned towards the man that had the gun, he then started coming after him and was told to stop but did not stop. And eventually the Good Samaritan pulled his gun and did fire that shot. And that uh, resulted in stopping uh, uh, the man from doing any, any further harm or damage to anybody. It, it, you know, it's, this is a fascinating story because we, we hear right you know, here firsthand from these people that are completely defenseless, that they don't, they, have, they, they don't have the tools, they don't have the ability, they don't have the knowledge, they don't have the mindset to defend themselves or defend this woman. But the one man in that Starbucks that does is the man carrying a gun. And uh, I'm proud of him for that. So good job. That's it. And Matthew, by the way, did have to duck out, folks. Uh, he has, he's got to go uh, take, care of, take, take care of business. So uh, that's it, though. We made it through the end here, and it's time to wrap up the, this episode. 
Sponsors, once again, are Ammo Supply Warehouse, ammosupplywarehouse.com. And Guardian Nation members hope that you will take advantage of that 5% off uh, discount. Uh, already really great priced uh, bulk ammunition primarily, although they do have things that you can buy by the box. But I would definitely recommend you buy, buy in bulk if you're buying from Ammo Supply Warehouse. And hopefully, if you're a Guardian Nation member, you save even more. I'll tell you, it's a really, really, really good deal. Um, also, right now, our site-wide 20% off sale by simply using coupon code NOGUNCONTROL. This expires Saturday, I think Saturday night. So uh, don't don't delay. Hop on our site, concealedcarry.com. And uh, we've got over four or 500 products on our site now. And hopefully there's something there that you need that you can put to use, whether it's a training product, whether it's a, a, a bag, a, a range bag, whether it's uh, whatever it is, apparel. And we got these new shirts. We got the Speak Softly and Carry a Big, a big Stick t-shirts. They're awesome. Really, really reasonable price. And uh, even these are 20% off right now. So if you've been thinking, you know, I've talked about it for a couple episodes now. If you've been thinking about getting one of these t-shirts, this would be a great time. Save you a few more dollars at least. So you can find the t-shirt. Quick link is concealedcarry.com forward slash big stick. And earlier on in the show, I mentioned it seemed like our site was having an issue. And I do have a good by uh, a, a report from Jacob saying that the issue has been fixed. Site's back up. It was down for about maybe 15 minutes or so. So everything is is all good again. Not really sure what the, ha- what the problem was, but sometimes these things do happen on the web. I think Google yesterday had a major outage worldwide, and that's Google. So, you know, sometimes these things do happen, and we fix them as quick as we can. So, use coupon code NOGUNCONTROL all this week through Saturday. Save 20% off site-wide. And start picking up these shirts. I want to see folks. Send us our pic- Send us your picture. If you, if you get one of these shirts, I want to see it. I want to know about it. Send us a picture, podcast at concealedcarry.com. And uh, I want to see folks uh, sporting these around, wearing it with pride. Speak softly and carry a big stick. It's the right attitude. So... Anyway, time to let you go. Thanks uh, all for being a part of this, the 265th episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. We'll see you again tomorrow. That's the plan, uh, that we'll have a uh, regular topic uh, for the second episode of the week. Tomorrow should be going live around 11 a.m. Mountain Time. Well, goodbye to you all. This is a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.